often have you seen seemingly rational and experienced clinicians do something completely irrational and out of character, like overlook an obvious diagnosis? Our guests today say there is an irresistible pull of irrational behavior driving their behaviors. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lent, your host, and with me today are Ori and Ron Brofman. Ori is co-author with his brother Ron Brofman of Sway. His previous book, The Starfish and the Spider, won glowing praise from business and general publications alike. As an MBA, he's a lifelong entrepreneur who launched a network of more than 1,000 CEOs. Ron Brofman holds a doctorate in psychology and has taught university courses in personality and personal growth. He won the University of Florida Social Sciences Graduate Teaching Award and the Ted Lanceman Human Growth and Development Award. He practices in Palo Alto, California. Welcome to ReachMD. Ori, we'll start with you. Thanks for having me. Ori, in your book, Sway, you give an example of an ER case. Let's go over that today. Sure. So this is one of the stories that actually led us to write the book. A woman and her child came into the emergency room, and the child was complaining of severe stomach pain. And the doctor started taking a look, and they looked up the kid and the mother. And then what they noticed is that the mother in the file was flagged as a frequent flyer, that is, a woman who made many emergency room visits and oftentimes was complaining about stuff that wasn't really an emergency. And instead of diagnosing the kid, they ended up diagnosing the mother. Mm. And they figured, you know what, this mother's just overreacting. They sent the kid home. The next day, the kid and the mother show up again, and the kid is still complaining of severe stomach pains. And again, they look up the mother's record mm. and, show, and see that she's a frequent flyer, tell them it's, it's not a huge deal, go home. The third day, the daughter shows up with the mother again, and this time her condition becomes very, very serious. And ultimately, it turns out that the child actually dies in the emergency room. Mm. And you wonder, how could the doctors miss the diagnosis? How could they not run the appropriate tests? And what happened was that instead of diagnosing the child, the doctors ended up diagnosing the parent. Rom, why would an experienced team of doctors make a decision that contradicts all of their training and experience? Well, I think that's the difficulty of being a physician or being a psychologist, especially when you're handling crises, is that you have a lot of chaos going on. You've got a lot of new information that you have to sift through, and you have to make decisions really fast. And as human beings, our brains are programmed to want to know what's going on. We don't like chaos. We don't like ambivalence. We don't like questionable situations. We want to know, is this person an emergency or not an emergency? Is this person for real or not for real? If it is an emergency, what sort of emergency it is? And our brains work over time to try to arrive at a conclusion ASAP. Now, ideally, of course, you know, we can be more maybe like a computer program mm -hmm. and say, you know what, maybe there's a 60% chance that condition A is going on, and maybe there's like 25% chance that condition B is going on, and, and maybe there's condition C and condition D, and let's keep all of those possibilities open and shift the percentages as we learn more about the case, but we don't work that way. Once we come up with a decision, like in this case, that the mother is a frequent flyer, it starts to cloud everything else. It starts to dominate 
and it's very difficult to look at the data that's coming in, information that's coming in, as new and as something that can direct us. We hold on to that, and that first impression, that initial diagnosis, takes over. So we kind of get stuck on one track, and we have a hard time seeing any evidence that doesn't meet that track. Exactly. And, you know, as a psychologist, I try to remind myself of that every time I see a client, that immediately my brain says, you know, maybe this is going on, or maybe that's going on. And sometimes it's because of even little things, you know, maybe the way the person is dressed, or maybe, you know, they didn't comb their hair, or maybe they're not really talkative, or maybe the information that they give me. And I have to stop myself and say, Am I really looking at all the different options or am I being stuck on one specific thing that's letting me astray? And a lot of times, it's almost like an ego thing. Like, I don't want to think, wow, I might be wrong. And I can't afford to think I might be wrong all the time. But it's creating this perfect balance between being confident in where I want to go, but at the same time being open to the possibility that I might be making a mistake. And that's a really difficult balance to create. Now, Ram, in the book, you also bring up an issue that's near and dear, at least to me, as a psychiatrist, and that's the so-called bipolar epidemic. Tell us about that one. Well, that's really interesting. You know, when I first went to school and took my first psychology class and, you know, we talked about all the different disorders and the professor talked about the bipolar disorder and basically nobody in the class, including myself, knew what bipolar disorder was. Mm. And the way he described it, he said, you know, it's, it's a very rare disorder and it's a very extreme disorder when you have a person who just goes through these major extremes, being up like night after night after night, and then on other nights, they're being so depressed you can't even get out of bed and you just oscillate back and forth and even showed us a picture of a man who was being arrested because he was walking in the middle of the freeway, and he said, that's the manic stage. And it just stayed with me that bipolar is a very serious condition, and bipolar is a condition that's also very rare. And then during my graduate training, I started hearing bipolar being used more and more often. And at first I was like, well, you know, like something didn't mm-hmm. make sense because I thought bipolar was really rare. And Additionally, bipolar started being applying to kids, teenagers, but even younger kids. So a kid would come in and they would be moody or the grades would go down or they would just come across to others as being a loner or being strange or being weird in some way. And psychiatrists and psychologists started using the label of bipolar to describe those kids. And There's a study that was done that between the mid-90s to a decade later, the bipolar numbers went up by a factor of 40 in the age group of kids, which means for every kid that was diagnosed bipolar, 10 years later, you have 40 kids being diagnosed as bipolar. And I talked about it with Ori, and I said, something's going on because we can't think of anything that might be going on to explain why so many kids would actually come up with the diagnosis of bipolar unless the disorder started being a catchphrase that unknowingly psychologists and psychiatrists started overusing the bipolar diagnosis. And in my practice, I see that all the time. I see 
mothers and fathers of teenage kids come in and say, I think my kid might have bipolar disorder. And to me, my first reaction is, well, if that's the case, then I want to take it very, very seriously because, you know, one of the things about bipolar disorder is that the chances of suicide behavior increases dramatically. So I want to be very sensitive to that. But if it's really a case of PTSD or if it's a case of mild depression, I don't want to use bipolar disorder just because the mood shifts from time to time. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today, we have Ori and Ram Brothman, the authors of Sway. We are discussing the irresistible pull of irrational behavior. Now, Ori, are the same psychological factors at work here with the bipolar, quote-unquote, epidemic as with the ER misdiagnosis? Exactly. So what happens is that we tend to make a diagnosis based on very little information, And once we make that diagnosis, it's very difficult to see things in any other perspective. So after that initial diagnosis, we ignore any data, no matter how strong that contradicts our initial diagnosis. That's all fine and good, but what about the hard part? How do we as clinicians resist this pull of irrational behavior? Well, the thing is to really focus on data. And there is an example we'll look at at the book at job interviews. And it turns out the job interviews and bipolar and the emergency room all have something in common. And that's you have a person in a situation where you need to make a diagnosis very quickly and the impacts are going to be felt long after the initial diagnosis. And it turns out that managers are actually really terrible at actually interviewing candidates. And the job interviews are very poor predictors of actual performance on the eventual career. And the reason for that is that a candidate comes in, maybe they say all the right things, they maybe have something in common with them, we share a few jokes, say, oh, they're going to be great for the job. But there's a very low correlation between those kind of job interviews and actual performance. And the only approach of job interviews that actually works in the long run is asking pre-scripted questions and making sure that we focus on the relevant data. So rather than asking, what do you want to do in five years, ask questions like, what specific qualifications do you have working in this job? What experience do you have working on this software? What would you do in this hypothetical scenario? And that when we have the scripted job interview, we force ourselves to what Ram was talking about, look at the real data and not take the mental psychological shortcut of arriving at a conclusion too early. So I guess the clinical translation of that would be to use, say, diagnostic algorithms in the ER where you ask the same questions every time for any particular presenting complaint, no matter what the mother's chart says or how they're dressed or whatever? That's exactly what doctors are working on. And what was interesting for me is in emergency rooms, I've talked to doctors where they said that a nurse might put something on the chart just very casually, maybe from an initial interview, and said, oh, this person might be suffering from heart disease and might be suffering from diabetes. And even that little note on the chart, even if it's completely wrong, even if it was put there by accident, 
makes the doctors ignore other symptoms. And all of a sudden they see someone present symptoms that they might not actually have because they're so looking through the situation through the lenses of, well, here's a diabetic in front of me. Let me ask them these questions. Or here's someone who has heart disease. Let me ask them these questions and ignore data that contradicts what they think they're looking at. Well, thank you so much for being on our show today. Thanks for having me. Thank you. We've been speaking with Ori and Ram Brofman about their book, Sway, which talks about the irresistible pull of irrational behavior and what you can do to stop it. I'm Dr. Leslie Lent. You've been listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For a complete program guide and downloadable podcasts, visit our website at www.reachmd.com. For comments and questions, give us a ring at 888-MD-XM-157. Thank you for listening.